Father God, we just want to thank you. Give us wisdom, give us understanding. Um, let us walk in the light of the world and light of the spirit and that the Lord which you have determined so that Lord we can fulfill purpose for you because you have a reason for sending us here to represent you and to proclaim that which you have in mind for creation to be delivered made free one more time to come to that place God has so ordained it from the beginning thank you for insight thank you for wisdom in Jesus name amen uh, we started this series in the last section so many of you were not here uh, but we started first and foremost uh, let me remind us that as pastors we do not have anything specific of our own that we are doing but we are doing everything we are doing for him who owns the church we do not own the church we own local assemblies because in Matthew he said I will build my church and the gates of hell cannot prevail so the church is his then Paul said we are co-laborers. But for you to labor for someone, I have always emphasized this for leaders, you must come to a place where you have the pattern, the design that the owner himself has for you to be able to build. Because if you do anything outside of what he has in mind, he will either reject it and not only rejecting it, he can also ask you not to continue the job. Am I right? Okay. So it's important we know certain things in the heart of God, what he wants, what should be his emphasis, and that also should be our emphasis. Um, so being collaborators and all that. Now, I was making us to understand in the last section that um, there are four major things that is a summary of the gospel. Four major things. Number one, if you, if you, if you read uh, the writings of Paul, especially and from the book of Acts, you're going to find four major things that really pertains to the gospel. One, resurrection. Two, Jesus the Christ. Three, the kingdom of God. Four, grace. These are the four major things you're going to find in the gospel. And these are the driving force of Apostle Paul. Wherever he finds himself, these were the things he was talking about. And I feel if Jesus lifted Paul and granted him this insight and every other apostle of the resurrection, we also must cue in that which they did and that which the Lord himself intended us to do. Hallelujah. And again, I mentioned it in the last meeting that primarily every local assembly is apostolic. Often and again, we've had men say the apostolic church, apostolic church, and then these days also we have men going, I'm apostle, I'm apostle. There's nothing wrong with that. I have no problem with all of that. But the point is, every local assembly is apostolic. Reason? Because the owner of the church is an apostle. According to Hebrew 3, the Bible talks about he being the high priest and apostle of our profession. So if he's an apostle, then you who is working with him should have an apostolic mindset. So every local assembly, it doesn't matter whether you put apostle in your church or not, you are supposed to be apostolic. In other words, you should find out and work with the mindset of an apostle as a builder because you are building with him. Okay, so I will read a few scriptures just to 
uh, catch up with what we said last week and then, uh, I mean, last month or so. And then we can go to what we have today, which is Jesus the Christ. That's what we're going to be dealing with because we did a little bit with the resurrection last week. So let me read just two scriptures on that and then we'll move on. Let's turn to Acts chapter 3 and verse number 18. Acts 3 verse number 18. Paul was here speaking. Uh, as a driving force. You take time after now, read the whole of the book of Acts and you see what I'm about to say. Acts 3 18, the Bible says, but these things, those things which God before has shown by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he has so fulfilled. Uh, among such in Psalm 22, 131, Isaiah 50, verse 6, 53, verse 5, Daniel 9, 26, all of those things uh, he has so fulfilled. Okay. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And it shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven will receive unto the time of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto, unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto him. Unto me him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which shall not hear the prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, all the prophets from Samuel... And those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have life as for the of these days. Ye are the children of the prophets, and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first, the Jewish people, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you, in turning every man away. Every man, one of you, from what? His iniquities. I want you to look at the last statement there. The last verse is very important. Unto you first, speaking now to the Jewish people, God, having raised up his son, sent him to bless you. In doing what? What is the blessing here? In turning away every one of you from his iniquities. So you see instantly that the resurrection of Christ, the blessing first you catch from the resurrection is the turning away every man from his iniquities. Now, let's see how that anchors in Romans 4. Romans 4, 21. And being foolish persuaded that he had promised, he was able also to perform and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness now talking about abraham now now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him but for us also to whom he shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up jesus our lord from the dead who was delivered for our offenses and listen to this and was raised again for what our justification so you see that the resurrection of Jesus is what justifies us from our sins. Amen? And the word justification in the Greek, the chiosis, is very, very important. It actually speaks of that which is rendered innocent. Amen? To render innocent. It means acquitter. You are, it's like saying you are discharged and acquitted. Okay, um, 
It means to be innocent. It means to be free. It means to be righteous. That's the word justification. And it actually comes from the root word equitable in character or act. By implication, innocent, holy, absolutely just and meet. Meaning, the message of restoration is what justifies us from our sins. And this is why it is very important to us as ministers of the gospel. The justification of the saints is tied to the resurrection of Jesus. So it becomes a cardinal message that we need to preach. To let the church know how that through the sacrifice of Jesus, they are justified from every sin that I've ever committed. God did that for himself and by himself. Like I made my church to know here, we must understand that the covenant that God entered into, he did it for himself and by himself. For instance, when he had a covenant with Abraham, he didn't allow Abraham to partake of the covenant. He had to enter the covenant by himself. Because the only covenant he entered with with men, men feel. The covenant is a contract between two. And Israel, when he entered covenant in Exodus 19, Gave them the law. They couldn't keep the law. The covenant was broken. And any time you break a covenant, you are bound to die. That is the way covenant were. That's something else. So, understand what I'm saying here. As ministers, this is what the Lord has really commissioned us to speak for. You know, talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ that justified people from their sins you must emphasize it you must cause people to see the reality and the importance of the resurrection of jesus christ amen let me read something first corinthians 15 verse 14. first corinthians 15 verse 14. i'm reading and the bible says and if christ be not risen then is our preaching vain and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we have found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, or vain, you are yet in your sins. I want you to see that. Verse 17. Hallelujah. If Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. And so, we can see from what Paul was speaking, even in the book of Romans, that the basis of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what? Our justification from everything that has to do, especially with the laws of Moses. Amen? Praise the Lord. Are we here? Okay, let me read one scripture more on this and then I'll move to what we have now. Romans 5, verse 12. Let me read it from the message translation. Romans 5, verse 12. The Bible says, You know the story of how Adam landed us in the dilemma we are in. First sin, then death, and no one except from either sin or dead that that sin disturbs 
that sin disturbs relations with God in everything and everyone. But the extent of the disturbance was not clear until God spelled it out in detail to Moses. So that this huge abyss separating us from God dominated the landscape from Adam to Moses. You see, even reading King James, the Bible simply says, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Have you read that in your Bible? What do you think it means? It means if death reigned from Adam to Moses, death stopped after Moses. Is that okay? So what is death? But people are still dying, so what do you think the Bible is talking about? It means right from Adam to Moses, we are the principle of keeping laws. And once you keep keeping laws, you definitely become faulty. Because what the Bible says law is the knowledge of sin. So death ran from Adam. What was, the, what was the beginning of the death? Thou shalt not eat of that tree. That was the law. And Adam ate. Death was introduced. Moses came, wrote all the laws. Men begin to fail. Death begin to walk. So the Bible now said death ran from Adam to Moses. It means from Adam to Moses we all died. So when Jesus rose, he lifted us out of that said death realm. But now we should be walking in grace by the Spirit of God. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So death ran from Adam to Moses. Now look at verse 14 now. See um, uh, the message. Even those who didn't sin precisely as Adam did by disobeying a specific command of God still had to experience this termination of life, this separation from God. But Adam, who got us into this, also points ahead to the one who will get us out of it. Did you get that? That's the point. So the message of resurrection is what releases or reveals the righteousness of God. You see, Paul will make a statement in the book of Romans chapter 1, read from 15. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation. For daring is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. Hallelujah. So the point is, if we don't understand this, and if we don't walk by this principle, we'll be teaching things contrary to even that which Christ himself have done. We can still be in the ministry walking between Adam and Moses. Are we still together? But here the Bible is saying we as believers are justified from everything. Because like we read in the book of Acts chapter 3 now 26. The blessing that is coming to the Jews first and to us is that through his restoration... All things pertaining to what you call sin is obliterated. The blessing from all our iniquities. And you go to Isaiah, you see the prophecy is there, Isaiah 53. Our iniquities are laid on him and whatever and the rest of those things. We claim the healing, but we don't claim the iniquity aspect. By his stripe you are healed. It's the same passage. It's the same chapter. But we don't claim the other side of our iniquities be laid on him. We don't. But we claim the healing by his stripes, we are healed. We believe that. But when it comes to our iniquities, our transgressions, we are laid on him. We don't believe that. We still subscribe to the iniquities of our forefathers. We still subscribe to what we have been taught of what perhaps you may call generational causes. I'm not against that. You can push it if you want. 
But the iniquities right from Adam, even down to Moses, to your great-grandfather, who Adam is supposed to actually represent because he's the very beginning of all fathers. Not just the one I gave back to you, your village, you know. No, my Adam is your first father. So if God can cleanse you of the iniquities of Adam, why can't he cleanse you from the iniquities of your, of your parents who are just um, 50 years old? Amen? Okay, so that is that. You go back and check all of that out. Uh, let me quickly now go back to what I really have in mind today so that we can discuss that. Uh, like I said, as basically what I found to be the emphasis of the message of Paul. By the way, I illustrated this. I believe in the gospel, or rather, in the epistles. Okay? I also do believe strongly in the gospels. And um, when I mean the letters now, let me explain what I mean. You, if my son writes a biography about me for you to read, and somehow there is a connection that relates for me to write a personal letter to you. Out of these two, which one do you think is going to be more important to your life? Is it the biography that my son wrote or the letter I wrote to you? Because you see, in the letter, I'm going to communicate my mind to you. In fact, the letter can spell out my will for you. The biography is just the activities and the way I live my life. But it may not contain my will expressly. Am I right? Good. The gospel, the four gospels are actually the historical work of Jesus before the cross. The letters are the written words of Christ after resurrection. And I've always emphasized this. Take for instance, the 40 years that Jesus walked upon the face of the earth, he didn't do a single miracle. I'll let my church know this. I haven't seen it in the Bible. If anybody has seen it, can let me know. But Jesus performed no single miracle per se. Huh? Okay. You understand that? That's after resurrection. The 40 years was walking on the earth, teaching of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. If Jesus has raised Lazarus after resurrection, Lazarus will have still been alive today. Because the body with which he was walking was flesh and bones and not flesh and blood. That body can die. And it will have impacted what he has into Lazarus. So you see, he raised Lazarus on the other side of the cross. Not on this side of the cross. Therefore, if you really want to find out the mind of God for you and I, for his church, we look at the epistles. Are you still there with me? Very important to us because these are letters that were communicated to the saints. They were not just the activities of the man that lived before he communicated the letters. So I'm trying to say, if we really want to please God, if we really want to do the work of ministry to satisfy him for whom we are called and, and that we are become part of as co-laborers, then we must find his emphasis, which is that which is in his mind. 
Okay, so the number two factor that I mentioned is Jesus the Christ. Let's start reading from Acts chapter 2 and verse 36. Acts 2 verse 36. Scripture speaking says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made that same Jesus whom you crucify, both Lord and Christ. Jesus made both Lord and Christ. Now, let me take it from the Living Bible so that we can define the word Christ. Therefore, I clearly state to everyone in Israel that God has made this Jesus crucified to be the Lord, the Messiah. The word Christ actually means Messiah. Often and again, we use the word anointing. That's not true. The word Christ is not anointing. The word Christ is Messiah or anointed, not anointing. Some of us don't know the simple difference between anointing and anointed. The word Christ is not anointing. It's anointed or Messiah. God did not make Jesus anointing. He made him anointed or Messiah. And there's a reason why I have to explain this because it's very important. Anointed is the same thing as Messiah, which is an epithet or actually of Jesus. I'm going to explain because it's very, very, very important. It's crucial to the Jewish belief and it's crucial to the Christian belief. For instance, you read in, um, in the book of Luke. You know, when you look at Luke 4, Jesus said, the Lord has anointed me. He didn't say the Lord is anointing me. How many of you understand that? The Lord has anointed me too. Okay? All right. Then when you go to Isaiah 45, talking about King Cyrus, you see the same thing. King Cyrus, my anointed. An anointed man is a man that has a commission for God. So when you look at the book of 1 Corinthians, I'm supposing Paul speaking and said, and he who has anointed us is God. He didn't say he was in Christ. That's not what he's saying. He's saying he who has commissioned us as ambassadors of Christ is God. So the word anointed means a commission. Are we together? That is why you find that, I mean, Cyrus himself has to make the decree for the restoration of Israel from captivity and the building of the temple and the walls. That is why he was called the anointed of God. Not because basically there was an anointing ceremony. But when God commissioned you, you become the anointed one of God. And that becomes what we're looking at now. So, the word Messiah, which is the same word as anointed, is a designation given by the Hebrews. Eminently, actually speaks of the Savior and Deliverer whom they expected and who was promised to them by all the prophets. He was the promised king who will reign on the throne of David for eternity. There were 330 separate promises that the Messiah needed to complete. For them to accept him, 
the Messiah they were waiting for, the Christ they were waiting for, there were 330 promises and prophecies in the Bible that the person must fulfill. And then they will say, this is the Messiah. That is why, you see, often they will ask him, you show us a sign. In other words, fulfill one of those signs out of that 330 promises so that we know that you are the one. <laughs> because the promises were there. They have been waiting for it. It's just that we are not cheating. I will show you the picture of her. Even till tomorrow, they still go to the wailing walls to pray. They are still waiting for the Messiah to come. They are still waiting for it. Okay. Now, we found that all these claims and promises were brought to reality in the life and the person of Jesus Christ. Just as we read before in the book of Acts chapter 3, saw that the prophet spoke are fulfilled in him. Okay? Okay. That Jesus Christ was the true Messiah of the Old Testament. He fulfilled that. He was a Shiloh. We're referring to the book of Genesis. The Jacob the Redeemer. You can talk about Jacob the Redeemer of Job. You know, when you go to the book of Job, say, I know my Redeemer, leave it. He's talking about Christ, the angel of the covenant. Everything there is abundantly clear from the scriptures. All right? Okay, so um, for us here now, we don't seem to have any problem because we believe in this. But for the Jewish people, they still have a lot of problems because they want to see all of those signs fulfilled. Amen? Now, when Jesus appeared, one basic thing like we're going to see from the scripture is going by genealogy and all of that. It is Judah... The Bible says the scepter will not depart from Judah. Remember that? Meaning Judah will always produce the king. Are you still there with me? But once Jesus came into the throne, or was born, the Messiah that was made after resurrection now, he took that scepter from Judah. And then the authority of the temple itself was annulled. As soon as Jesus resurrected, all this thing came into his life. Amen? So, we find that the temple, which was supposed to be the centerpiece of the Jewish worship, was destroyed. The kingship that was supposed to come from Judah. Because, you see, if the kingship was supposed to continue to rest in Judah, you would trace your genealogy before you become a king. And you only trace your genealogy before you become a priest. Is that okay? Right. But Jesus took all of this to himself. Then also the genealogical list were extinct. That is, they were done away with. We proved the descent from the priesthood line and so on and so forth. Okay, um, let's begin to look at a few scriptures to make this clear. Now, don't forget what I'm trying to say. The emphasis is Jesus is the Messiah that the Bible prophesied about. And this is the preaching and this is the, the central gospel that Paul and the rest of the people were preaching. Are we together? Let's get down to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 36. The Bible said again the next day, after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus, as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and said unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Labai, which is to say, Being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? And he said unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt, and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon's Peter brother. He first finded his own brother Simon and said unto him, We have found who? The Messiah. You see? Which is being interpreted what? Christ. 
That's it. So Christ is the Messiah. Not like I keep on saying, see, we have abused that word so much. Especially, I remember when I was growing in the faith and when I come into, anytime you talk about Christ, you are always talking about the anointing. It's far from what it really stands for. It stands for a person. The anointed one, the Messiah. And the implication of this understanding is, as you relate to him as the Messiah, that is where your salvation and deliverance really comes from. Because the excess of the Messiah is to deliver his people. Hallelujah. We have found the Messiah. The land from John. All of them know this before. So, here they came to say, we have found the Messiah. The Greek was there. Okay, let's look at something else again. John 4. John 4, verse 25. This is Jesus with the woman at the well. The woman said unto him, I know that Messiah's comet, which is called Christ. Can you get that? When he's come, he will tell us all things. Jesus said unto her, I that speaketh unto thee, I am he. Jesus opened to the woman at the well. The Messiah that the people are waiting for, I am the one. You see, the question is, what do we really preach? That's the point. What is the emphasis in our message? Because if we must be co-laborers together with Christ, we must do exactly what he stands for. Amen? <laughs> you know, I was... Somebody asked me a question while I was in KM. I was sharing with leaders. You see, the issue of, like you were trying to mention, the issue of 47, 1 Corinthians 14, I mean 11, and the Bible says, He that prophesied, if a man prophesied with the head covered, dishonored his head. Have you read that, 1 Corinthians? What does it really mean? Uh, like I asked the question, we have our popes that wear long hair, we have our bishops, what does it mean? Okay, does it mean they are dishonoring their hair? And then you go down again, you see the Bible saying, don't you know that if a man has long hair, it's a shame? What about the Arabs, people? Are they supposed not to be believers? The people in Holland, they have long hairs. I have friends who hair, but they keep cutting, but they keep growing as well. People like Abraham Lassine, you know, they have long hair. God made it so. But the point is this. When you talk about head, it's talking about your authority. It's just like you find in the book of Kings there where um, Elijah was to go, right? And the people, sons of the prophet came to Elijah and said, don't you know your head shall be taken away from you today? Your head. And they were referring to who? Elijah. So when the Bible says, God is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of man. What he's saying, he said, if you prophesy, it's not just say, thus say, Lord. If you are teaching and preaching, you are prophesying because that is the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. So when you are doing all of this thing and you are not exposing Christ, you are dishonoring him. Christ is meant to be exposed to the people, not you. Are you sitting there with me? That's what he's saying. You dishonor your head by not exposing Christ. Instead of exposing Christ, you are exposing yourself. You are dishonoring Christ. 
who is the savior of the body okay let's look at something you know when this woman went to the city remember what she said come and see and find the Messiah huh? he exposed him okay look at John 5 in John 5 verse uh, 39 uh, the Bible simply says you know you said the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and they are they which testifies of me now Jesus was saying this to the uh, the Pharisees and all of those uh, sort of people. In other words, when you read the Bible, it's going to be talking about me. Is that okay? If you said the scripture, said the scrolls, everything is pointing towards me. So he's the center. Our message should be Christ-centered. Hallelujah. Christ should be exposed. He is the Messiah. Check all those who are preaching. Every emphasis they have was Christ. His resurrection. The power that flows from him. This was the emphasis of the people. What is our emphasis today? Okay. Let's turn to Act. Let's just read a few scriptures. And then. Act chapter 4. Uh, okay. Act 4. Let's look at something here. Verse 10. The Bible says... Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified That's why they use the word Jesus of Nazareth the one you rejected I have read the books of Josephus one of the greatest historians there are several other Jesus is that we are around that day. It was more or less the common name. It was the common name. Okay. All right. Okay. Now go to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, verse 42. Uh, I don't know. Okay. Act 42. Let me just look at this. And daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. I want you to, I just want you to see the emphasis. They cease not to preach who? Jesus Christ. Daily. In the temple and in every house. This was their concern. So I'm afraid, what is the church preaching today? Okay. Jesus, Paul, Paul I have to make a statement and say, I desire to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I don't want to hear any other gospel. Acts chapter 9, verse 22. I want to run through a few scriptures so that you can see exactly what I have in mind here. Acts chapter 9, verse 22. But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews we dwell at Damascus, proving that this is the very Christ. Hmm? Emphasis. Go again to Acts 17. Acts 17. That is Paul. Look at Acts 17, verse 3. The Bible says, Opening and alleging, Paul here speaking, that Christ must need have suffered and risen again from the dead. And that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. I want you to see that. 
is Messiah. This Jesus whom I'm preaching is the Messiah you are waiting for. Emphasis. Okay? Act 18, verse 5. St. Paul. Act 18, verse 5. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was praising the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. Okay, let's even look at Apollos. Apollos was one of the... Apollos was also an apostle. Let's look at Act 18. I'm reading from verse 20, 27, 28. Act 18. And when he was disposed to pass into a care, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, whom when he was come, helped them much, which had believed through grace. And I like that. For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly showing by the scripture that Jesus was Christ. That's another apostle. Amen? He mightily convinced the Jews that Jesus was who? Christ. Hallelujah. Okay, now, because this will lead us to the main issue that we need to begin to understand. Actually, in the next section, I don't know how we're going to be, you'll be able to see. The Messiah they were expecting, we're going to explain it more as the south of the throne of his father David. But let me just make some statement here. If you look at the book of Luke, it tells us precisely. When the prophet was coming, after he was giving birth to, talking about he shall come and sit on the throne of his father David, Luke 1, 33, and he shall reign forever and ever. How many of you understand that? Talking about Jesus Christ. Is that okay? Good. The Messiah that the Jewish people were expecting, because for David, he was rated to be the greatest warrior in Israel. At the time of David, he actually expanded the territories and the boundaries of uh, Israel as a nation. And so the Messiah they were expecting was going to be the son of David who will do mightier works than David. And this is one of the reasons that we're so much confused. Because if this is supposed to be the Messiah, why are we still under the oppression of the Roman Empire? He should have been able to fight like his father fought. But all their mind was on a child of, a, of David that will sit on his throne and their king was not... Their kings were basically warriors. They were fighters. Hallelujah. So now, we need to understand this fact that Jesus himself actually came in that form. But the point is, it was difficult for the Jews to understand what he came for and how he was going to come. But in the next session, we're going to see that the Bible says he sat on his father's throne, on the throne of his father, David. You understand that? He sat. When did he sat on his father's throne? When he rose. Not when he's going to come again. As we have commonly believed. No. Hallelujah. It's not when he's going to come again. It is when he rose. That is when he sat on his father's throne. Hallelujah. Okay. Let me just, uh, just keep on emphasizing this so that we can round up from here. Get with me to Acts chapter 5. In the next section, then we can be able to deal with that properly. I'll just through the scripture and then down here. Okay, Acts chapter 5. Eh? Look at it. Acts 5 verse 30. The God of our father raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hung on a tree. 
Him had God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. Now, here the Bible is describing the ultimate goal of his resurrection and of his manifestation as the Messiah. Amen? A savior. That is what the word Messiah stands for. So when you are actually saying Jesus is my savior, you are implying is the Messiah that have come to deliver me. And the strongest enemy you have is not those things you are talking about. Scripturally speaking, your strongest enemy is supposed to be the power of sin. As it were, the devil. And you see, the devil can't walk without the law. Going to 1 Corinthians 15. The power of sin, the power of the law is sin. The sting of sin is death. Huh? The power of sin is the law. And the sting of sin is death. And, and like I explained to my people, which some of you probably must have known too, and that is why we know that when the Bible talks about the devil struggling for the body of Moses, he wasn't struggling for a physical body, because in Deuteronomy 34, we know that Moses was killed by God himself and buried by God himself. So the body of Moses was actually the body of the law, with which was ruling the church in the wilderness. And that's what the devil was struggling for. So if the law remains, sin continues, death reigns. That's why the Bible now says, death reigns from Adam to Moses. But Jesus came and delivered us from the powers of those enemies, strongest enemies, and gave us a life of righteousness. But you have to believe this. Because it's so difficult for man to even believe that God has made him a righteous being. It's difficult. Why is it difficult? I don't even know. Because it was so easy to believe that you are a sinner. It was so easy. But to reverse that thing now is an issue. Even ministers are not helping matters at all. It was so easy. You were born into this world and somebody just told you that you're a sinner. You just believed it. Now here the scripture is telling you that because of what this man did, you are now a righteous man. You say, how can that be? There's a problem. You are questioning what God has done. But you didn't question the information you got. When Adam said you were not there, you were born into this world, you were not there. Do you even know that sometimes when we pray, we pray and sing this song. Uh, David, David, uh, we told all your spirit from me, let not your Holy Spirit, you know, what you were singing. Because when I begin to have understanding, I don't even think of singing it again. Because listen, the Bible says, I will not forsake you, nor leave you. So we can't speak like David. David know why he said what he said. It may be in the book, but it has to reflect a person's life. Even when he's saying, Cindy, my mother conceived me, it's not for you. That is the honest truth. My eyes are just getting a light into these things. Because let me tell you this, let me tell you this. <laughs> Do you know, beloved, John made a statement, say, John, the disciple that Jesus loved. Eh? Have you read that before? Who wrote it? No, who wrote that thing? It's John. 
What does that mean? He's giving a testimony of himself. It's not another disciple that wrote about John. John is writing about himself. Can you imagine that? Okay, now here another one. Say Moses was the meekest man upon the face of the earth. Who wrote that one? <laughs> Can you imagine this? Things? So when David is saying, okay, I want you to pick some of these things. I get what I'm talking about. There are some of these statements that are made by themselves because of their experiences with God. They are not doctrines. They are not doctrines. It is based on their experiences with God. Hmm? John, a servant that Jesus loved. Huh? But the thing is, they saw something, they experienced something, and they have to speak from that perspective. Are you still there? The Lord will not forsake you. He said, Lo, I'm with you always till the end of the age. So, why is it? We told the Holy Spirit from me. All those songs doesn't make meaning in the present reality. It's not going to be told. He have never. He will not. Hallelujah. You see, when God, I don't want to preach here. Thank you. Okay, have I read at, at five thirty? Okay. Are you there? At five thirty, the God of our Father raised up Jesus, whom He slew and hung on a tree. He had God exalted into his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to bring to give repentance to israel and what forgiveness of sin the word prince means a leader or a director a prince when you talk about prince that's why you must understand what the prince of pesha is when you talk about prince you talk about a leader okay hallelujah and and then another word for that prince because if you look at Act uh, 3, 15, and 19, we talk about you kill the prince of life. How many of you remember that? You kill the prince of life. So the word prince there actually means the author of life. The originator of life. Why is it so? Because right from Adam to Moses, they, all, they originated nothing but death. Hallelujah. Okay. Um... Let me read this. Uh, I don't know if you have to take some questions. Uh, then we can be true with that. Okay. What verse did I read? Verse 31. Okay. Let me read 32 here. So, and we are witnesses. We are his witnesses of these things. And so also the Holy Ghost, whom God has given to them, that will obey him. Amen. So, let's just round up this maybe uh let me look at hebrews 2 and then i read from verse number 5 in the book of hebrews i'll read from verse number 5. let's see what uh i'm going to read from the message look at it in relation to him being the the prince of life or the author of life hebrews 2 verse 5 God didn't put angels in charge of this business of salvation that we are dealing with here. Amen? It says in scripture, what is man or woman that you, be, that you bother with them? Why take a second look their way? You made them not quite as high as angels, bright with angels, Edens don't light. Then you put them in charge of your entire handicraft world. When God put them in charge of everything nothing was excluded but we don't see it yet don't see anything 
under human jurisdiction what we do see is jesus made not quite as high as angels and then through the experience of that crime so much higher than any angel with a glory bright with eden's dawn light in that death by god's grace he fully experienced that in every person's place and i like that every person's place he experienced that it makes good sense that the god who got everything started and keeps everything going now completes the work by making the salvation pioneer perfect through suffering as leads all these people to glory since the one who saves and those who are saved have a common origin jesus doesn't hesitate to treat them as a family saying i'll tell my good friends my brothers and sisters all i know about you i'll join them in worship and praise to you again he put himself in the same family circle when he says even i live by placing my trust in god and yet again i'm here with the children god gave me since the children are made of flesh and blood it's logical that the savior took on the flesh and blood in order to rescue them by his death by embracing death taking it into himself he destroyed the devil's hold on death 15 and freed all who cower through life scared to death of death it's obvious of course that he didn't go to all this trouble for angels it was for people like us children of abraham that is why he had to enter into every death of human life then when he came before god as a high priest to get rid of the people's sin he will have already experienced it all himself all the pain all the testing and will be able to help where help was needed hallelujah so let's see how he rules because the prince of life is come to give us salvation he's come to deliver us from the death of death as a messiah the point is this as a messiah the jewish people felt he was going to send them away from the hands of the roman empire and give them their own state which is what probably you're going to call the israeli state now that is their thought that had been their mind but that was not the mind of god because the gentiles are here inclusive if we begin to understand and so the rule of god is not necessarily in a piece of land called palestine that is why the understanding of the messiah is still a problem to them but for you and i who have come to this understanding by reason of the holy spirit we've come to know for sure and certain that he has saved us from everything of our past praise the living god okay let's probably take uh, maybe a final scripture here or so and then I'll, I'll just try to round up here Romans let's look at Romans please Romans 5 I'm reading 19 for as by one man's sin disobedient man's disobedient many were made sinners so by the obedience of one man shall many be made righteous Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abound, grace did much more abound. That as sin had reigned unto death, even so my grace reigned through righteousness unto what? Eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see where the emphasis of the apostles were. They talk about resurrection, they talk about Jesus being the Christ, they talk about the grace of God. Sin had dominion through your life reigning ruling the jewish people don't understand the principle of reign in relation to the messiah that god brought to us to them the ruling power of the messiah must be physical but the definition for instance who had ever seen 
seen walking on the street with, with his staff as a king anywhere. Where is the throne of, of, of sin, Mr. Sin? It's in the heart of man. Amen? Even so, the throne of the ruling king is where? In the heart of man. This is the emphasis. And the Bible says, sin was reigning through this process. Now, righteousness is going to reign by grace. Same through the process. In other words, on a daily basis, there is going to be an unfolding of God's righteousness in your life. Hallelujah. And God intends us ministers to take this out and let the people know. To rule means to be like a king, and so on and so forth. Let me read this from the message. Verse 18 says, Here it is in a nutshell. Just as one person did it wrong and got us all in this trouble with sin and death, another person did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting out of trouble, he got us into life. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong. One man says yes to God and put many in the right. All that passing laws against sin did was produce more law breakers. I just wanted to see that. All that passing laws against sin did was produce more law breakers. But sin didn't didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. I like that. Listen. But sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. In other words, if grace and sin are to go into competition, sin have no power. Are you getting what I'm talking about? So that's why the Bible says, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So when sin and grace are at war, sin have no power. The Bible says, I like this. <laughs> But sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. All sin can do is threaten us with death. And that is the end of it. Grace. Because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah. This is why I'm reading this. Through Christ. He's putting everything together again. Through the Messiah. Invites us into life. A life that goes on and on and on without end. Hallelujah. Amen. So then, if you go to Galatians 3, I mean 1 verse 3. The grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from what? This present evil world. Hallelujah. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord the Messiah. You will say I'm our Lord Christ, fine. But don't forget the word Christ equals what? Messiah. Good. Grace and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus the Messiah who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. That is why it's a Messiah. That is why it's our Messiah. 
So what am I trying to say? Let the church know who their Messiah is. Let them know what their Messiah can accomplish and has accomplished. Let them know the purpose of Christ's coming. Let them know the intent and what the Messiah really stands for. Hallelujah. I want you to get this right so that when we are declaring what we're declaring, because my point is this. I don't know, I think 1 John 3 or what? Or 3 John verse 4, whatever, I can't remember. Remember, the scripture says, He that runs ahead of the doctrine of Christ have not the Father and the Son. Have you read that? It is good we are ministers, but like Paul will say, that we are cast away. A cast away is not being cast into hell. Actually, it means so that we are not disqualified. Amen? That we may not be disqualified. Let's speak what the early apostles spoke. Let's speak what is the mind of God. Let's teach the people. Let's make them see. And not just see, let's bring them to the place of believing. Because it still pains me to tomorrow. That it, it is so easy for us, even when, even when I was not a Christian, in quotes, I believed that I'm a sinner. How many others are I talking about? Even before you were born again, you believed you were a sinner. So the man in the street even still believes that's a sinner. Now you come to church, and God said, well, because you've crossed just that line onto this side, you are a righteous man. Now it's difficult for us to believe. Man, if you can't believe that you're a righteous man, how can you live righteously? Because you see, like I keep on illustrating, give a child 15 naira notes, or you buy a biscuit for a child, and let the child stay for about five minutes, and you go and say, give me a biscuit. The natural tendency of that child is to do what? To hide the biscuit. So the question is, who taught the child how to be greedy? Because that's greediness. It's an inborn thing. It's just natural. The life of God is a natural thing. It's going to flow. The righteousness of God is going to flow. The grace of God is going to flow. It's not something we struggle to become. We can't struggle to become. We are born to become. You see, you didn't struggle to become a human being. You were born to become a human being. Am, am I communicating? Animals, dogs, cats don't struggle to become anything. It's people like Mike Tyson that are trying to change their gender or whatever. You don't struggle to become a man. You were born a man. Natural. So, born into the household of faith, you don't need anything. It is just your nature. You just have to begin to understand that when I'm born a child of God. You know what pains me most? Sometimes we say we are kings and princes because we want to make money. But when, but when it comes to you being the righteousness of God in Christ, it's a difficult thing. Amen? So what am I trying to say? Jesus, the anointed one, is our Messiah. He came to save us from the present evil world. You know the world, the tendency of the world no longer have influences in our lives anymore. And if your people can begin to see this, their mindset will also change. And when their mindset change, their life will change because change will only come through the mind. Be transformed through what? The renewing of your mind. God bless you.